Hello, welcome everybody to Sonic Talk, episode number 405. Been a couple of weeks since uh, my last meeting. That sounds like the sort of thing that you say at the beginning of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, which is not what this is. I'd just like to point that out right now. Although my voice does sound a little bit like uh, I might have been up all night. It's just I've had a cold. I caught it on the train on the Eurostar on the way back from Brussels, which was where I was last week. I was away... uh, I have to say, Brussels is a fantastic city. I'd be back there like a shot. Really, really enjoyed it there. And uh, I want to say thank you very much to my uh, sister-in-law who put us up. Uh, She's also an MEP, so I got to sort of swank about at the European Parliament dressed massively inappropriately. I sort of walked through the door and thought, ah, shorts and a T-shirt, not such a good move today. Everybody's, you know, dressed up and kind of being politicky. And we went to the members' restaurant, had a nice, me- and then I sat in on a committee meeting where we saw the Brazilian agriculture agricultural minister addressing the parliament, and then questions and saw how the whole thing worked. I-, I tell you, the one thing that is impressive is the amount of resources that go into running the place, and the sort of how difficult it is to grasp what's going on there. But I do know that lots of really good things go on there. My uh, sister-in-law is a green MEP, so she has that kind of political suasion. And they have a lot of power there because they are sort of the conscience, if you see what I mean. I'm I'm rambling. I'm getting way off topic. But anyway, I'm back. Thanks for watching. Welcome, everybody, in the chat room. We do have a show sponsor as well. Isotope, of course, will be uh, doing their usual giveaway. We've got Ozone 6.1 for a lucky winner uh, to give away later. We've also got a winner from episode 405. Four, file not found, as we, uh, um, I think we titled the show. Anyway, let's introduce some guests, shall we? I'm going to start with Dave Spears, who's there with GeForce Software in the Synth Cave. And um, the sun is shining. I think we might actually have summer. What do you think, Dave? It's looking promising. It does look promising, doesn't it? God, the last couple of days have been incredibly windy up here. Oh, yeah. No, we've had the same thing. So now it's about time that... The sun came out and I'll just roast. Well, you can open the windows now. Of course, uh, if you've been watching Sonic Talk for some time, you'll know that Dave started out life in a sort of uh, subterranean basement type garage, which to all intents and purposes is what it looks like is where he is. But there is actually a window now and he's able to see a view yeah. and stuff. Anyway, Dave Spears, of course, makers of fine software. You're having a sale. Did I see something go past the other day? You having a sale on at the moment? Oh, yeah, we're doing a 50% off Imp2 for... I think it's a week, two weeks, might be two weeks. I can't remember. Well, there you go. We don't do it very often. So, yeah, if anybody wants it, now's the time. Doing it proper. Well, Dave, thank you very much for joining us. A pleasure to have you aboard. And let's flip to um, the other side of the M5 corridor to Mr. Robbie Bronneman, who's there in Robot Studios. Uh, Robbie is, of course, a producer, artist, and probably in between shows where he does the musical direction and kind of runs the tech side of the Howard Jones uh, touring machine. If, well, in fact, without him, I think it's pretty much going to be a DAP machine and Howard, which wouldn't go down very well <laughs> if they do have such things. How are you, Robbie? Yeah. Are you well? You've been away, have you? Yeah, yeah, I've been in America and then back started our festival season this weekend, gone, and then playing Bristol on Sunday. Ah. Ashton Court, Ashton Gate, wherever it is, arena place in Bristol. Oh right, I might yeah. try and get over to that if there's a if there's an inn. There's I a guest. Gaz is coming along, so I'm sure we can sort that out. And then playing Saturday in Manchester at the Manchester Apollo. Oh right, so uh, back yeah, to back Monday for another week. Right, back to the, sorry, back to the states. Yeah. Oh, so, 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 
Right. Last but, time we saw yeah. you, last time we saw you, you were um, just about to fly over. You had a B rig because you have a very specific rig, and you were saying that the, to fly all your stuff across the Atlantic was getting crazy. So your your last session in the states was you showing up with a day to spare to make sure the rig worked. How did no, that? How did that go? Coming up on Monday. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> coming up. Yeah. So I'll, I'll watch this space. Space. I'll let you know on that. Right. Well, I'm sure it'll be absolutely fine anyway, Robbie. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. Oh, I should say, uh, a nice, fulsome chat room as uh, we are... Oh, my God. That's an enormous amount. People are obviously having a little bit of uh, uh, sonic talk withdrawal. It was only a week, chaps. I try, you know, we try and keep it consistent, but sometimes, you know, you've got to go when you've got to go. Anyway, let's uh, flip over to uh, Glastonbury, a little bit further up the road where we've got Mr. Mark Tinley. Uh, like uh, marktinley.co.uk, sound artist, creative thinker, and uh, master of haircuts. How are you? Is that what I am? Well, no, it's a, one of many things. <laughs> I'm all right. I've got something very exciting in my garden, um, and I'm going to buy some waterproof microphones so that I can mic it up. Okay. Um, I joined the uh, Somerset Beekeeping Association. Right. And I've learned how to keep bees. And, that was quick. Um, yeah, I know. And uh, and uh, my mentor rang me up and he said, are you ready for a swarm? And I went, um, what does that mean? So we went off to this uh, uh, a local village and we captured a swarm and put it in a box, brought it home and threw it into, literally threw it into a hive in my back garden. You take the bees and you kind of shake them in and they all went in the hive. Um, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mic them up. I'm not quite sure... Where, where to put the mics? <laughs> I what mean, either on a, the a single a single bee or the entire hive? I think I'll mic the entire hive. Need a lot of mics. Be, I mean, it could be. No, no, no. <laughs> well, there's fifty thousand bees in there in the height of summer, so uh, it could get expensive, especially if I used Neumann eighty U eighty seven. Well, there wouldn't be enough room for them anyway. But That's no, a... I, I just I kind of fancy like you know capturing some inside the hive kind of yeah um, that sounds interesting activity kind of noises and seeing if i can um you know capture anything more interesting than bzzz, uh, know, uh, here's a, here's a question for you do bees in the uk buzz at 50 hertz and in the us <laughs> buzz at 60 hertz is there a difference <laughs> I, I don't know Ah, well. I should I should uh, I should become a professor of bees or something um and and uh I should write a white paper on B sounds, shouldn't I, or something? Yeah, I think I that could would... do a Kickstarter and everything. Yeah, Mark B Tinley, we could uh, you could yeah. have a a middle so name. Forget the wasp. Hey, uh. <laughs> there we go. There's another. Uh, oh, uh, we'll have any more winged instrument. Well, we've got B, we've got the wasp and the gnat. I don't know if there are any other winged instruments type synthesizers. Let's ask. Let's ask Gaz Williams from Bristol, a professional bass player and uh, music technologist. And in fact, um, well, uh, we've just shot a thing with the uh, Korg Little Bits uh, Synth Pro Kit yesterday, which I've just put together. So uh, I'll, I'll send you a, a rough edit of that. Anyway, how are you, Gaz? Yeah, great. Um, having loads of fun. The projects I'm working on at the moment uh, are just so much fun. So one of those is, uh, is doing a live soundtrack uh, at the Green Man Festival this year to accompany uh, the Jodorowsky kind of mental mad film, uh, The Holy Mountain, probably the craziest film I've ever seen. So and we've got the midnight <laughs> slot on the Friday night. It's going to be such a psychedelic den of 
immensity. I'm so excited about it. But the cool thing is, is that I'm playing theremin. I'm playing lots of um, interesting instruments on it. Um, so, so the actual preparation for it is just like so much fun. <laughs> Messing about and waving your hands about. I had and I had my first magic, real magic time with my ther- my theremini, the Moog theremini, uh, today. Um, and it got me really excited. I've been, ah. I've been running the output out through a bunch of guitar effects pedals and into two valve amplifiers spread across the room. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I wonder what would happen it's if, uh, how sensitive is the theremin? If a bee, for instance, flew towards the aerial, would there be some kind of ah. uh, interaction going on there? You see, I'm, 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 I'm labouring a theme here. <laughs> well, um but uh, there is another story I just wanted to tell about the the, the sad death of my OP1 recently, uh, oh dear. Um, <laughs> which Robbie seems to think was deserved, by the way. Oh. Um, <laughs> if you've seen the performance, you know why. Oh, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> there is a video, sadly, online. Uh, actually, it's on my website, but my, um, my wife took it, um, of this rather awful performance really uh, it was an improvised performance at a comedy festival thing and just did this stupid thing ended up rolling around with i had the op i had the op1 on a on a strap like a guitar strap and ended up just i don't know maybe well, being a bit too, being too physical with it <laughs> that sounds like something you could be arrested for i'm sorry <laughs> sir you'll have to come with us you've been too physical with a piece of music technology <laughs> I tell you what it was, though. It is the curse of the mini jack. The yeah. mini, jack, mini jacks are just, you know... Right angle jack. jack is your friend. Mm. Yeah. The right well, angle jack. That's yeah. the way to go. Anyway, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Gaz. I hope you maybe you can get it fixed. I mean, it's saying, I know they're quite difficult to open, but I think if it sounds, it's just probably a bit of surface, man, if you haven't cracked the main PCB. So, uh, well, maybe um, the, the thing to do then, what you possibly need is... Now, here's a link. Is... A Cosmo desktop synth stand that maybe would be able to mount your um, uh, your OP1 on as well. I don't know if you saw this. It looks very similar to something I've built, but um, much more elegant for holding things up. You know, for filming and things, we need to kind of lift things up at various degrees. And this has an enormous number a number of uh, possibilities. And you can also take it apart. Let's see. Hold on. It does two. If I just oh there we go that's being taken there you go two of them just look kind of cool um, sort of thing that you kind of have I'm, I'm going to go to you Robbie first because I know you are a man who enjoys a bit of synthesizer furniture stands everything in its place a place for everything kind of guy so I'm I'm thinking maybe you know this might might be something you would be interested in it's wooden is that okay well you see I've got a very nice local firm of acrylic manufacturers and they make me all these lovely little acrylic stands for everything that i can light up tron style ah so, so you get the edge so, edge lights yeah so yeah so everything's on these little kind of easels that are all got led stripping all along them and it all looks very nice That's i a- think it's cool um yeah i prefer it if it wasn't wood perhaps white perhaps they'll do some other funky colors but it's a good idea it's always a problem isn't it with all lots of little things in the studio like that drum machines and stuff what to do with them Absolutely. I don't know whether um, anybody else has any other solutions. I mean, uh, Dave, looking at your kind of massive gear amount of stuff there, have you got everything in that kind of uh, stackable stuff or have you got any specific uh, uh, tips you could give for people who want to mount maybe a small desktop synth somewhere that's not just flat on the desktop? Well, I, I mean, for whatever reason you might want to. No. no. Any uh, tips? 
No tips at all. Okay, well, moving on. No, it's weird. I, uh, I, I got rid of my desk because I've sort of brought, I've got a smaller desk because I needed a bit more space to put more synths in. Synths in, yeah, yeah, exactly. You found you couldn't so, walk around the desk anymore. <laughs> when I saw this, I thought, ah, oh, this is cool. And then I thought, oh no, I haven't really got any room anymore. But I'm talking to you by my laptop, which is actually propped up on um, old. VHS boxes. Ah, yeah, okay. At the minute. So, yeah, something like this would be pretty good, actually. Well, that could work. That could work. Um, um, I know, Mark, what are you do, you... do you have any kind of tips for mounting um, these kind of little desktop things, or is it you going to be p- um, picking up a Crema Cafe Cosmo? It is 50 euros, which have, seems like a lot I of money. Have, uh... Oh, no, that's not it. <laughs> Can't find it. <laughs> You know those uh, clear plastic acrylic stands? You can buy them on eBay for about three or four quid. So you can put things on them, like small things. Um, they're designed for shop displays. If you if you go on eBay and just look for shop displays, there's all sorts of different things that they have for displaying things like books or cards or uh, crystals in Glastonbury. I suppose you could. Shots. And I've got a whole load of those kind of kicking around, and I just build like little, you know, right, mini right. villages of things like <laughs> this kind of thing. You know, these kind of things. This is a like weird little. <laughs> so they, they just kind of, or maybe this one, you know. Ah, uh, okay. Seem to have like loads of things like that that go on these stands around the place. Uh, or go to the uh, go to the local recycling place and buy an office desk, which I also did, which was a bit of a bargain. I I, I don't know about the fact that it's made of wood. I think that would annoy me because I would inevitably chip some of the wood off, um, and then I wouldn't like it anymore because yeah. I'm quite pedantic about keeping everything looking pristine. But then I suppose the problem I've got with my little um uh, my clear perspex standards that they scratch very easily so yeah well there is that and and that, that that's also a problem for you robbie does that mean you have to wear kind of like uh um billiard uh, uh, yeah, referee yeah. gloves every time you want well, to move anything well we have we had this joke on tour because we've got all our acrylic cases obviously on tour which for all the keyboards are built into and at one point howard had like chrome kx5s so literally the guy who was the roadie would 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 carry it around with a pair of those sort of gloves because he was just looking crap under the lights every time he brought it on with all his finger marks all over it. So we uh, we had late actually we ended up using surgical latex gloves because they don't leave fingerprints. Right, and also yeah, handy if you. Have. So I'm, I'm a man like yourself who's uh, moving from town to town. And, you know, it sounds like one of those kind of uh, sounds like the basis for a kind of um, raffles type. Uh, gentleman criminal sort of uh, uh, story. Howard Jones moonlighting as some kind of bank robber with all the... Well, I just found the gloves, sir, and I thought that they would be useful for something. I didn't want to see them go to waste. Uh, Gal, oh, sorry. I was going to say one thing. I've got one little tip for studio stuff, which I found. Griffin make these... um, This stand that's designed for a laptop, and it's basically like two sort of C-shaped bits of um, bent aluminium with like a, a Perspex bar that goes top and bottom. And it's designed that you can put a laptop above something else on the desk. Ah, yeah. It works perfectly for little synths and stuff. Oh, that's you can good. Get for about 20 quid. That sounds good. Mark, you were just about to show us. Yeah, I was just going to say. Oh, I yeah, I know. Show, you probably can't see Yeah, that no, I can see that. It's well, it's completely clear. But... That's what I've got, yeah. I mean, they're just they're like 
three bucks or something. And oh, that's you useful. Just buy them, and you can sort of stick things underneath them because you can see them and things. <laughs> I mean, unless they've got buttons, I suppose. I suppose so. Um, it, Gaz, what about you? I know you, you're a man who likes to everything in his place. Well, you've got limited space, so one tends to have to do that. I, I know what we do is uh, I use uh, bags of rice to put things on on stand over there so things are lifted up by, by put, you know, bags of rice for a quid in a sort of shape. I mean, you can get proper sort of, those are the sort of things you can get for film sets, which are special beanbag things, but they're so ridiculously expensive and you can buy a bag of rice for sort of 49 pence, but that's my tip. What, but isn't that in a paper bag? No, it's in a plastic it bag. It, no, some some rice comes in very thick polythene. Rice everywhere. No, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't want that to happen. Anyway, Gaz... Over to you. Mm. I did mention uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago about these um, the IKEA foot shelf. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can see there on the the top of there, there's like a yes, I see. You know, and because they've got that ridge, you know, and things are tilted towards you, it just works surprisingly well. Um, I did. F- and I- they look, they look okay as well. You know, they don't. You know, they. You don't look at them and think, oh, that looks like an Ikea foot rack. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere uh, you might put your slippers. Stop. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, while we're at on the subject of Ikea, I did. if you're looking, um, perhaps you didn't want to spend all that money on one of those, uh, there's this thing, which is a, like a laptop stand, which is £2.90 from your local Ikea. So that is a considerable saving and essentially performs a similar function. But uh, That's exactly like mine, only mine are made of Perspex. Right. There we go. Well, there we go. Anyway, that was just a a little um, thing. I I spotted that yesterday. In fact, that was spotted by um, DK Sounds. Thanks so much. Right. There's another uh, interesting story. Let's go. um, Oh, yeah. This was from you, Robbie. This is uh, a thumb pan thingy. That's all I can say what it is. I don't know what else to call it. Oval. Hang drum. Hang drum. That's it. I don't think it makes this noise, but this is just to, to show how futuristic and wonderful it is. It, is, it looks kind of interesting. We've been developing the oval instruments for more than two years, and we are really excited that other people will be able to play with it. Discover a new way of playing. We'd like you to meet the Oval. It is a next-generation percussive digital instrument, and you could be one of the first players. The Oval is a digital music. Uh, you can watch the whole thing. It's a Kickstarter um, uh, um, project. Uh, let's have a look. Where's it got to? It's got to something like €84,000 of 100000 with 38 days to go. I think that's quite promising. Essentially, it's a Bluetooth uh, MIDI USB. Uh, th- I don't know if you've ever seen people play hang drums. You generally find them in most European cities like Montmartre. And I saw a chap in Brussels, actually, at the uh, uh, Royal plus royal just down the road from there and um, playing one and it's 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 quite it's a sort of it, it goes in the way you know it's gong didgeridoo hang drum all in the same kind of breath you might say you know that would be the sort of thing what was it that uh sparked your interest with this rob are you looking for a yeah no i've, I've always liked i've used libraries i've always liked the sound i know guy sigsworth has used it a lot with Fru Fru, and I know Imogen Heaps used it a lot, and um, Kate Havnevik, and all sorts of people. So I just thought it was interesting. It was interesting, you know, it was an interesting aside to have a, a controller in that kind of format. Yeah, it's a very, uh, it, it encourages that kind of, you know, if you, it, when you're playing things with drums, because you can use that sort of twist, the finger and thumb, um, little finger and thumb, you can get really kind of quite 
rapid yeah. playment and stuff. So it does look quite interesting. Uh, Dave, you're a drummer. Would it? Would you rather be beating on this than uh, than tapping your desktop, as it were? I mean, it could be quite useful because you can set the scales up. You can t- there's a, that. It's got. It looks like it's got X Y positioning and all sorts of other things as well. It's going to be about three hundred fifty euros, I reckon, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it does look kind of interesting. Yeah, he said he said the words next generation, which kind of made me go. Yeah, that was almost as bad as what? What's the other one? Game changing. He didn't use that. Yeah, unfortunately. revolutionary. Um, he does say he yeah. does say a music an in, an instrument for musicians by musicians. He says that in there as well. That's that's oh, that's, 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 well, our tag, that that's our tag. That's our tagline. Hold on. <laughs> does he also say since nineteen? Uh, <laughs> No, I thought it was interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Because these... It's funny, actually. They're called hang drums, aren't they? The real things. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, I think somebody I know christened them hand jobs. And I don't know. There's something about them. Does this kind of reverberate in the same way? Or is it just a kind of solid mass? I don't I know suppose it's... Pressure good. sensitive and stuff like that. Just a controller. Doesn't make yeah, any that, sound... But, and that's cool because I was thinking, well, at least you could turn them down because they, you know, if you're at a party or something like that and somebody brings one of these real things, they can get a bit irritating after. <laughs> an hour. Well, it's the wind chimes that do it for me. One key, aren't they? So this means you can use it in all sorts of different keys. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 And that is the big, that's the big downer with the normal hang drum. You know, they're very expensive, but they are quite key limited. So, you know, it's like, not. Ooh. They look like walks to me, upside down. But. <laughs> yeah. They're not just very expensive, but there's also a waiting list because there's a chap here in Glastonbury who plays one of them on the high street, and he told me that he had to wait for a really long time to buy it. Right, um, yeah. Something like two or three years, I think. Wow. But then, bizarrely, when I walk past his house now, he seems to have half of one nailed to the front of his house. That's the walk. Hi, I live here. <laughs> I'm a hang drummer. I, yeah, uh, but... Yeah. I need to try and be positive about them. <laughs> you want to say something bad, don't you? I can tell. I want to say something. It's like it's like uh, going on, you know, a, a synth and doing one of those great big washy choir things and then just leaving that running for the whole track and then thinking you've made like a lovely piece of new age music. And it's like they all, it just sounds like the same thing over and over again. And it's like, I want to, I want, I like but innovation trouble, and I, I don't hear anything innovative. So, so the positive, th- so that's what I'm saying negative about the hang drum. So I guess the positive yeah. thing is that if you can change the key, that's something in itself, right? Well, if you trigger, I get the MIDI controller over Bluetooth, so you can have, you can yeah. connect it to anything in the studio at all. I mean, I mean it so could be interesting if you can play nice those things, patterns. Oh, they're comfortable. They're comfortable things to hold, <laughs> so you can sit and have them on your lap and play. There's not a lot of instruments, you know, like, well, a guitar, but a lot of percussion instruments, you can't necessarily be so, mm. you know, they're quite, they're quite mellow. They're quite a mellow. It seems to be comprised of people thing. sitting in the park with one on their lap. It seems to be exactly. the kind of, kind of way. Yeah. I, but I guess know, if you used it for drums, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. If you're controlling like a really nice analog polysynth or something really beautiful with it, you know, and you're just sitting there, it's just, a, you know, as a way of expressing yourself and playing it, you know, and you've picked maybe you've picked some really choice notes, you know, some really clashing kind of nasty notes and, or whatever you want, you know, you could make it, 
I think are pretty cool. I'm into it. I think it's cool. Yeah, well, I don't know when. Uh, I, I should probably sort of. Uh, early birds getting a f- 50, uh, 50 units. Let's have a look. I'm just going to the website. It's going to be 599 euros when it comes out. All right. 50 or 399 on the wow. Kickstarter. Uh, March 2016 and only ships to certain countries. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I guess that's... There's a very similar kind of thing uh, for sale on Glastonbury High Street in a shop called Enlightenment, and they sell all sorts of different sound things. And these things are made from the bottom half of a Calagas yeah. canister, and then they cut out the shape of the resonator in the bottom half of it, and then those things... They, but again, they're stuck to one musical key or tuning or pitch or whatever and that just never appeals to me because i want to be able to go you know to different places with it and if you're kind of locked and stuck in yeah one thing so I, sp- I guess you know if you want to be in that world and you want to do something this could be a cool thing i guess that's probably why you don't see bands of hang drum players because i guess to get them che- i mean they probably are tuned to some sort of you know, um, golden ratio, and you know they have a sort of. You know, I imagine it's like yeah. we're go- we're gongs and cymbals and things. You know, there's a certain note that seems to work better, oh, e- energy and all that kind of stuff. They're all tuned to solfeggio in Glastonbury, and solfeggio, of course, is uh, one seven four two eight five three six nine uh, three nine six uh, four one seven five two eight six three nine hertz. All clashing notes don't actually resonate nicely with each other at all oh uh, and uh so <laughs> it's this clangorous noise <laughs> ah. of them, you know but, you wouldn't um, want to live next to somebody who was like practicing, no, perhaps. No, no, but people seem to like it. Yeah, they, so. it does something. It does something. There was that very. Anyway, that's the thing. If you want to check it out, uh, it's the Oval, and um, well, it, for us, they're doing well considering it's only just gone up. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? No, not bad at all. Anyway, right. Um, what's next? Um, we did the thumb pan thingy. Um, uh, Nifty synth stand. Uh, oh yes. Uh, let's have a look here. Um, Orphonic. Did anyone see this thing? Did I have a yeah, video yeah. for this? This was uh, uh, Orphonic. Oh, Let me see. I've got it here. This is uh, Orphonic, which is uh, proposed to be a mixing system. Uh, auto, it's, it's, well, I mean, the idea, I mean, that's what it says, but actually on closer really, uh, orphonic.com, uh, basically it's, it enables you to, uh, it says multi-track mix, but actually what I think it means is it's more for radio and, uh, music beds. So it'll, it'll pick out certain, um, aspects of the, uh, you know, it'll duck and, and, and make the music in the background and bring it up. And so it's, it's the sort of thing that you might do, use for radio productions, but it does sort of, it doesn't really say that. So I know, Mark, you got quite excited and thought, hey, what happens if I chuck an entire multi track into it and see what I happened? Did that. Oh, you seem to have, Mark, is that, that's bizarre. Well, I seem to, you seem to have had a, have an alarm across your face. There must be something in my diary on that machine. Hold on, I better check what it is. <laughs> it's nothing embarrassing. <laughs> Visit to the clinic or something. I thought you put a post it now. <laughs> playing that game where you've got to guess who you are there we go no <laughs> it's just a vat return <laughs> am I? what was i then <laughs> <laughs> um what were we talking about oh yeah orphonic is that right orphonic yeah. yeah i downloaded it i thought i wonder what happened if i put a duran duran master in it so i took ordinary world which is across 48 tracks on the original um master tape Two of those are SMPTE code, so I left them out, and two of them are silent because they're next to the SMPTE code, and I guess there were enough tracks to, to leave it that way. 
uh, and then it just wouldn't process it at all. It just couldn't deal with it at all. So I was quite. Yeah, I, th- I think that was it. The, 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 I wanted it to do it. The press release kind of indicated that you know it was it was mad. what it seems to be more for is radio production, voiceovers. Also, the other thing is perhaps if you're doing lectures and there's a quite uh, there was a quite a good demonstration which I haven't got lined up unfortunately, where it'll pick out you know a question from the audience which might be off mic and they'll pick that up and normalise it and set it to specific volumes. It's like batch processing, so it's something slightly different. So I mean, I think we uh, perhaps it seemed more exciting than it actually was. It, yeah. But I mean, the terminology, using the terminology multi-track, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're like in, you know, 48-track world, but we're not or more. But but it just isn't. So I, I think they, they mean a, a music track and a dialogue track, don't they? Yeah. Oh, there's somebody in the chat room spamming stuff. How annoying. Really? People got better things to do. <sighs> Anyway, uh, I can't really do much about that at the moment, so we'll just have to let it find itself out. Anyway, the, the whole thing about this um, that, that was that I thought was more interesting was perhaps you know this is a, you know there is a trajectory, isn't there? We got the uh, Dan Dugan auto mixing thing, which works with multiple mics. It's more for conferencing. Are there any systems which uh, which which almost do uh, work in a kind of auto mixing sense? I mean, I'm, get, I'm wondering if Robbie, you've come across anything that you kind of trust with any? I mean, I don't think you'd expect to put an entire mix into something like this and see, you know, and have it working. But you know, no, some. I've never come across it. I mean, there was all that stuff, wasn't there, a few months ago about this this automatic mastering software that was going to master your music for you. Yeah. Which I, you know, I'm very sceptical of, I'm sure, like most other people, as to how that can ever be at all subjective as to the material, etc. But I haven't really come across anything automatic like that. I don't really see what the, apart from what you're talking about in sort of post-production kind of um, ways, why on earth you would ever want something that supposedly tries to mix your music for you. Yeah, I I, but I mean, I suppose, I mean, I guess the thing is, I was also thinking, well, actually, how, you know, we use compressors all the time to auto level things and create effect that is, is something that our ears are very much used to. So, I mean, aren't we kind of, when you bus a lot of things into a compressor and use that to kind of auto, isn't that essentially doing part of that job anyway? I guess it is, but you make those decisions, don't yes, you, based on the source material and what you want to go into what compressor and what you want to group with what i mean how, how does a bit of software m- yeah. make all those creative choices and make a you know make a good job of that because it's, it's it has, a totally subjective thing yeah the software itself has got some control so it's not just yeah i've got i've got a screen grab here actually if so i just pop um, this up um, so you can you can you can make it forward it something's foreground or foreground or background and i think yeah. that's why it really is this is the online, the cloud version. I mean, the thing that's actually quite useful with it is you can do things like if you wanted to batch process a bunch of things, you can add metadata, you can convert it to a specific kind of thing, you can f- filter it, you can uh, auto limit, you can do, you know, so in terms of a batch processor, I could see maybe it was useful for taking a whole load of files that were perhaps not normal. Uh, you know, not of a, a specific loudness, not and, and f- yeah, well, you know what I'm saying. So th- it does have some use. So there's definitely something that could yeah. be useful there, but I don't think it's as, it's quite the, uh, the 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 magic mixing bullet no, that I, we were thinking of. I think I was incredibly mean to it, and I didn't. It probably didn't stand a chance <laughs> with what I was trying to get it to do. So um, it does actually look like it's got some uses. Um, yeah, yeah, having looked yeah. at it, it does look like it could be useful for stuff. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know, Gaz, do, do, do you well, think there's any future in this kind of notion, though? Because, I mean, you know, as, as software does get more intelligent, there are going to be certain... I think the test, a really interesting test would be, like, the, I don't know, um, the Hey Jude test or something like that, where you take a multi-track that's beautiful, beautifully mixed um, by, you know, of a big famous hit record and have that as an algorithm. And then when to test these software mixes out, you give it a perfectly mixed track and then tell it to mix it. <laughs> and then there should be no change. <laughs> but how much it changes the, the perfectly mixed track, you would get this kind of weird sort of effect, wouldn't you? And it'd be quite an interesting way of... Uh, you could phase reverse one al- against the other. How their algorithms are kind of working, you know. You could do a difference test by phase reversing the original against the one that it mixed, and then you could listen to the what what it did differently. Yeah, yeah I suppose so. <laughs> anyway, Dave, I mean, you're a software developer. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't suppose... I mean, you don't have any sort of auto-patch creation. Do you have that kind of random patch generation in any of your stuff? I don't recall seeing it anywhere. No, I don't want to put me out of a job. No, of course not. Just kind of do it up random. Oh, they're better than Dave's patches. <laughs> Get rid of him. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. I, I, I did a vid the other day, and I was trying to, you know, I kind of did the voice did the voice as I was doing it and kind of noodled around, but I had the music on sort of separate tracks, if you could call it music, and then I um, thought, oh, you know, I'll go in and do some smart stuff, and I'll do the ducking and... And it just got, it sidetracked me. It kind of took me out of the zone. And I thought today when I saw this or, and listened to some of the demos, I thought, oh, that would have been interesting if I could have just slammed it while I was kind of doing my thing, just sort of yeah. chucked it online. And then was at least able to listen to the result and go, oh, will I use that or will I not? That might have been quite interesting. Yeah, I but guess. I thought some of the ducking stuff was quite good. Actually, some of the de-reverb stuff was pretty good. You know, removing the ambience from the guy who was talking in the hall and stuff like that. I thought, yeah, it's sort of got, it's got potential. I guess it's the sort of thing that um, you'd imagine Isotope would be working on with sort of batch, because they've got all the tools for doing that kind of stuff. You could imagine, you know, all of their things brought together, they're, they're, there's something in, in amongst it. I mean, obviously, most of their stuff is going to be used uh, for creative professional use rather than kind of just kind of going through things and fixing things. But I'm guessing that, you know, batch processing via isotope plugins is going to make sense, um, which probably is a good point to uh, mention uh, a word from our sponsor. How do you think that is for smooth? Perfect. Perfect. Right. I'll play the ad and then we'll talk about it. So um, as you know, uh, isotope sponsor the show and sometimes the ad plays, sometimes it doesn't. There it is. Ozone 6.1, this is kind of the de facto mastering suite, really. Uh, got key features, essential mastering tools, equaliser, dynamics, maximizer, exciter, post-equaliser, dither, dynamic EQ, which is advanced only. You can harness the sonic texture of classic analog gear with even deeper digital control, make smarter mixed decisions aided by robust real-time visual speedback, feedback throughout the modules. You can achieve you know, authentic sounds for any genre and really improve um, either individual tracks or entire mixes. If you want to check it out, go to isotope.com forward slash ozone and you get a 
10-day free demo, as with all of their products. And of course, uh, if you were listening at uh, episode 404, which was a couple of weeks ago, you will know that there was, in fact, a competition. And we ran a competition. It's a Twitter competition. We have a winner. Uh, the winner is this chap. He's called Thomas Griffin. And I've kind of, uh, it, uh, hold on a minute. Let me just... Uh, Make this a little bit larger. I can read that. Thomas Griffin, and he is called Nine Rifter. Uh, at Nine Rifter, which is his uh, Twitter handle, he tweeted, uh, we asked you to tweet at Sonic State, at Isotope Inc., the Mix Doctor, and the hashtag Ozone6. Everyone loves Summit for Night. So I'm guessing he might be from the West Country. So uh, uh, congratulations, Thomas Griffin. Do get in touch with us, and the Isotope Ferry will pass that on to you. And if you want to win... This week, we've got another competition, as is uh, Isotopes Want. We thank them very much. And you need to do the same thing. Basically, you just need to tweet this, which is uh, the hashtag Mightier Mixes and the hashtag Ozone6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's the hashtag Mightier Mixes. That's one word. And Ozone6 with a six at the end uh, to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And once again, we do thank Isotope for their sponsorship of the show and uh, good luck in the competition. We had a lot of entries last uh, for the last one. So, uh, um, Thomas, you are a very lucky fellow. So do get in touch and we'll let you know. Right. I think, I think you needed that docker then. I'd that, usually, that, I usually that, do, that actually. a bit loud. Ah, well, maybe that was it. But it wouldn't do it real time, you see. I do, I do have a ducker set up on this, um, but I, obviously it wasn't running uh, at that no, particular... It wasn't ducking quite as much as it needed to. It maybe, wasn't. But... I think, I think okay. there's a certain irony in that. that yeah, no, that, you're, you're absolutely right. There certainly is. That's, that's what clearly what I need. Uh, right. Um, something more. Preset, right, look, we've got a couple of these. And I, I, I think what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll start with Presona Studio One Three, which has just come out. It has been a fairly major upgrade to uh, the Studio One. I mean, this is quite an, uh, a new door on the scene, and it's probably one of the newest. I guess Bitwig is a little bit newer, but there's been a lot of uh, iterations, a lot of kind of developments. I think some of the code, original coders behind Cubase uh, were involved in Studio One. And, no, um, and this latest iteration adds an awful lot of things. One of the really interesting ones um i've got i've got a video here i can play no that's not it that's the wrong video for the wrong topic i'll have to go to that later but um I, I thought i had a video but it looks like i haven't got one sorted out but um gaz i know you've been using Ooh. studio one and uh, the studio one three adds some interesting things i mean we've got an arrange arranger track which i know is something that cubase has but there's also this thing called scratch pad which allows you to kind of open a multiple window and just drop elements of the arrangement and mess around with them and then without changing your originals and then bring them back which those are the sort of things which i think yeah actually that's pretty innovative you know there is some innovation going on here mm. have you had a chance to see the new features yeah i mean scratch pad i think i've yeah i I don't think I've seen that before in a DAW. Uh, the Arranger uh, track is something actually, it looks very much like the same way that you can do it in Reaper, the way you can move things around. Uh, Reaper's been able to do that sort of region. You know, you define a region in your DAW and you can copy it, duplicate it, move it, move it around, create new arrangements. But this idea of the scratch pad, when you click a button, it creates like a, a border comes down the middle of the screen and it creates two workspaces so you've got your existing arrangement track and then you've got this kind of like playground if you will and you can just grab components from the main track just drag it into this other window try out arrangements chop up little bits you know if you don't want to have loads of complicated stuff going on in your main window do the kind of editing business in the scratch pad bring it back directly in 
plonk it back in the arrangement. And then you could have multiple scratch pads. You could just name the scratch pad. You could say uh, that scratch pad one. You could just say, you know, maybe you chopped up a guitar solo out of eight takes, you know, or, and you just arranged them around like a scruffy old kind of bedroom. And then you just, uh, <laughs> you know, and then you can get it back. You can go back to that that workspace, you know. And yeah, very very cool. And I I would be very surprised if that idea or or iterations of that idea doesn't get you know widespread use in the other DAWs too. How would that work with like if you've got lots of embedded layers of automation? Because that's always the bane of my life with some of the stuff I do when it gets incredibly complex with like perhaps five or six lanes of automation on per track on some things. And then you start going, somebody says, oh, you just put another chorus in here or put a bit on the end. And you start, it's like a minefield. You have to like really check what you're doing when you chop stuff out and join it together or expand it. How does it deal with all that sort of business, do you know? Well, Studio One is a bit more kind of modular you can have more you know like so you can have certain automations in the clip so when you move the clip it's not part of a line that's running along a track it's kind of similarly with studio one you can drag vst plugins and drop them onto a clip you know so you have multiple instances of a vst plugin uh, that only only happens when the play bar reaches it so it's a slightly different and that's been in the beginning. That's been in Studio One from the start. But uh, I'd imagine that that helps with with this process of doing stuff in the the uh, the scratch pad. Something we should mention about the scratch pad is that all the tracks line up. So if you've got sort of plugins running on that track, if it's on that track in the scratch pad, it will go through that mixing channel. You know, so. Um, ah, can can you? Um, this was the one thing. Can, could you actually have a different number of tracks in the scratch pad? So you might go, oh, I'll just try this overdub on this one and then add it, or does that all kind of mess things up because of the alignment? Don't know. That's a good idea. Don't mm. know. I don't know. I, I mean, um, I, I'm guessing, Robbie, you're sort of thinking that there are, you know, there are obviously some some innovations that still need to be done because I mean, that's yeah. some, uh, you know, a, a complicated arrangement or mix in a DAW is a very complex sort of data structure, data object. So it's about sort of managing that in, uh, well. So, I mean, there's still a long way to go in terms of making these things less wieldy, right? I mean, I know logic now you can embed automation into clips, which is a big help. Because, I mean, I used to have to do this old, the old caper of drawing on empty regions, you know, on the main arrange window to allow automation to get moved. Because if it wasn't kind of on top of a clip, automation would stay where it was when you drag stuff around. So, you know, we've been finding ways for years to try and deal with it, but... Certainly when you could get a complicated cue for a score or something, it's still quite a kind of, you have to kind of psych yourself up to deal with it all. You know, yeah. everything so you can see all the automation and carefully check what you, you know, it's still quite an effort to do it. Whereas that sounds quite, quite a nice idea of um, certainly being able to try things out quickly. Because if you've got a client and they just say, can you do this, this and this, sometimes you have to go, hang on a minute, it's going to take me 20 minutes while I just... Yeah, save as, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I do like the idea of that. And I think, I know some of the stuff Gaz has shown me from the latest version of Cubase. I mean, you know, there's some really great innovations in things like Cubase. And I, I think it's probably it's just that catch-up thing, isn't it? I'm sure we'll see some of the things that are great in Cubase making their way into the next version of Logic or Pro Tools, whatever. Everyone kind of looks think, at everybody else. I think. You know, I think there is something to remember here as well, that Studio One, this is version three, you know, whereas, you know, Cubase and Logic, they're on to, you know, double 
fidgets or whatever. Yeah. So, and, and my thing with Studio One has always been, I've always felt there's been a few bits and bobs missing from it, that it didn't have the killer, the killer features to sort of really blow me away. But I think some of this actually does go some way to, to addressing that. And uh, I think when you get into this idea of objects, I think Samplitude was the first piece of software that really published, you know, that really sort of promoted this way of working of, you know, the clip being much more than just a sort of a window on a file. But, you know, it's something when you move it around, you put plugins into it, you build automation into it. You know, if you split it, you've, you know, you've split two units of et cetera. Uh, and I think that I think that, that there's lots and lots of advantages of working of it working that way. Um, I'm I'm interested in this thing I've talked about a number of times where you can just have a, you only have one actual audio track and you can have as many objects on this track as possible and you just do away with the whole track idea altogether. You know you don't you just have objects that just exist along a timeline. Uh, that's not a bad that's... idea i know dave have you uh, i mean presumably you might, might have come across this just purely from a uh, uh, getting you know your plugins working in various different daw environments and from what i hear studio one has actually got a pretty massive user base i think somebody was telling me it's like two or three hundred thousand people already wow yeah yeah could be uh i it's funny actually i downloaded the demo of this and it wouldn't um it wouldn't authorize it Ah. I just got a server error thing, so I kind of thought, oh, maybe you know, temporary glitch in the system or whatever. But what was interesting from my perspective is uh, when this was released, I had quite a few emails from people saying that they were using the um, like the multi instrument part with various versions of our stuff and other people's instruments, uh, saying that it was really awesome because they'd done it with hadn't they done it with effects chains? Yeah, and now it's they've very similar. Done it with instruments. They've taken a very good idea out of Guitar Rig. Guitar Rig's always been able to sort of embed split, frequency split or pan split. And they've essentially put that, if, you've, if you're familiar with that in Guitar Rig, then that's the kind of paradigm that they've done. But then as Dave, well, sorry, pass it back, Dave, but you can do that with VST instruments as well. So you can create splits, you know, by via various things, by frequency or by pan. Oh, wow. Well, cool. I, so it's not simply just a case of layering stuff. It's more complex than that. I, I mean, the the one thing that I saw that is really cool, I mean, there's a 30-day 30, 30 free trial, which I think is a really, really good move. So you can download a 30-day free uh, a version that will work for 30 days, and you can really check, it, check that whole thing out. And I know, Mark, I mean, we're not... I mean, that's the thing. I mean, moving DAWs, as we know, is it's a major, um, it is a, it's a, it's a major pain in the bum, frankly. So, I mean, it's the sort of thing that you've got to be sure. So uh, that sort of demo is the sort of thing that we like to see in this, this world, right? I wonder. I was thinking about this the other day. I think moving versions, I think, actually, I think moving from one year to the next is a major feet in uh, music technology because I, I, I've got I, I was trying to think about which digital audio workstation had the most compatibility through all the versions so even in Pro Tools if I load something from Pro Tools version 5 into my most recent version of Pro Tools it seems pretty compatible but loads of plugins and things get broken and as uh, I've noticed with plugins, that as you go through 
uh, iterations of plugins from plugin version one to plugin version two to plugin version three. Uh, because of the way VST works, particularly, plugin version two doesn't know that it's meant to be looking for settings from plugin version one. So if you take plugin version one off the system, then that no longer works. And I think the only compatibility that we've got with digital audio workstations now is to print everything to stems. And I should have been doing that for years and years and years, but I probably didn't have the hard drive space to do it 20 years ago. Now I do, maybe I should go back and try and fix everything and have, have things to hand uh, that are printed to stems. Now, when you think about the whole digital audio workstation thing like that, then if your flow is always to print things to stems at the end of things so that you've got the sounds that you used always going forward into the future, then that means you can jump from any digital audio workstation to any other digital audio workstation to utilize whatever features are present in that workstation at this time. So I don't need to go back to Pro Tools 5 to run those sessions i can just drag the stems into say studio one and then i can utilize some of the new features of studio one and, and work on my song and kind of continue from there and then end with putting everything back to stems again so so i i'm i'm sort of like thinking well maybe you know maybe i've been making a mistake the way i've been doing it for years and years and i should have been always making stems and if you're always making stems, then that means you can use any audio workstation and just drag stuff yeah, in, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, well, if you want to check it out, do go to uh, personas.com. I think it's studio1.personas.com and try it out. So I'm a little bit distracted because we've had uh, a script attack on the chat room and it's just flying loads of stuff back and everybody's up in arms but it'll all be sorted by next week hopefully um, i did want to get onto this last topic because i know um dave wanted to talk about it last time and this was uh well i'll start with the video just because uh I, well not the video the soundtrack this is um the sound of imagination the classic 1980s uh body talk and this was this came from a um basically <laughs> See if I can play this. I don't think I can. An interview with Tony Swain. I don't think I can have them both at the same time. There's an interview with Tony Swain on ARP Journal, a journal on the art of record production. And Tony Swain, this is by Jez Wells um, from April. And it's a, it's just a really interesting interview with uh, Tony Swain. Um, started out his career back in those days. Uh, he was kind of, cla not classically trained, but, but, but trained via a kind of old school producer engineer. But what was really interesting, I thought, about this whole thing was the way that when the, the, that record, you know, it sounds quite current and contemporary now in many ways. I mean, obviously, it's of an age. But they were saying that, you know, what they were doing is pushing the envelope by doing stuff like, right, OK, that sounds great. Now just turn the bass drum up by 6 dB as a sort of figure, and then it'll be even better. And all these kind of like just things, they were, well, let's just ignore what you're supposed to do. And what happens if you do this? And that kind of created this new uh, certain certain elements of new sound. I mean, obviously, within the paradigms of what's acceptable on TV and radio and what have you. I know, Dave, you were kind of quite keen to talk about this. I did. I, I confess, I didn't know anything about Tony Swain. Have you got any uh, any extra info on him? Because he's worked with a hell of a lot of people. I mean, he's really, um, you know, got a massive track record. It's quite funny, actually. I, when you said you sent this through a few weeks ago, and I kind of went and had a glance. I thought, I'm sure I've worked with this person, and I went off trying to find whether he was the person I'd worked on this album with, and it wasn't him at all. It was Pete Vale and Miles Waters that I'd worked with. Um, so that kind of sent me off a curveball. But there, no, uh, there's no great long thing that I wanted to say about this. It was just that 
the Roland SH-1000 was kind of my first synth that I got to use. And I know it's a big favourite of Mark Doty's. And in the late 70s, early 80s, I was playing in a lot of funk bands and, and mainly as a drummer, but I'd have to double his keys. And uh, it was always like, what, what is it that makes that, what is that bass sound? Of course, we all thought it was this mythical Mini Moog, but then when we got our hands on the Mini Moog, it was like, it's just not right, it's not right. And then through this article, I find out that it is a Roland SH-1000 that made those bass sounds. And I do understand it because it's got this button for Portamento. And in fact, it mirrors a conversation. I don't know, I'm going to go off on one slightly here, but a, a question that's been in mine and Chris's head for, well, since the 70s, was David Essex going to make you a star? What was the synth that played that lead? And we were so lucky in that Ken Freeman came down here and he was a guy who played keyboards on it. And we did we did this massive long interview with him. And at the end of it, we said, oh, do you mind if we ask you this question? Because you played on all that stuff. Huh? What was the synth? And he said it was the ARP 2600. It was double tracked uh, because I got paid twice in those days. Um, but the glide was triggered from that glide button which, of course, we know is on the 2600, and we know is on the SH-1000. So this was a kind of epiphany moment for me, going, those bass sounds... Now, this has got to be double-tracked and sweetened up and harmonised. There must be loads of processing, because I can tell you, the SH-1000 was not that much of a fat synth, whereas those imagination bass sounds were... I thought it was that Back bloke playing the fretless bass with the uh, the cornrows. <laughs> I th yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it kind of morphed into that later on. But there was this time where it was like, what is that synth? Anyway, that's just all. It's a shame Mark's not on here because I think both of us could probably go on for hours and hours about the SH-1000. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that's interesting. I don't know. Um, Robbie, I'm, I'm guessing you're probably a little bit young to maybe be influenced by some of these records. But, I mean, they definitely had a real sound to them. And it's kind of interesting that that, that level of kind of, I don't know, let's just break the rules and try this, you know, was, was, was kind of got away with it somehow. Because it feels like, oh, no, you can't possibly do that back in those days because it would have been not the done thing. And now no. you could just kind of go crazy with that kind of stuff you know it, electronically it's much easier to be very uh, um out there and and wrong there's very few times isn't there where you feel like you're really being like that. i mean i thought it's, it's like i i was talking about the first time you hear a track you've done on the radio or the first time there are all these things you, you have in your musical career or your creative career you have that kind of excitement that first time that some of one of those kind of landmark things happens and it's never quite the same again and um, I guess it is. I guess it's the case with those kind of musical things, you know, when a lot of stuff was just being tried out, and you know, being pioneered. People suddenly did have those moments where they thought, "This is actually really cool," and I don't think anyone's done this before. I, know. I don't know why people really get that now because it's just like it's just like, is it, you know, is it, it, there isn't that kind of same thing going on. Really, I suppose that everything everything is extreme already. Really, there yeah. isn't, you know, yeah. So there's there's less of it. I think that's a fair point. Yeah, um, I know. What do you think, Gaz? I, I, have you uh, come across Tony Swain's work before? Hmm. No. Um, I do remember the tragic sound once of going around a corner too fast in an Austin Allegro, and to hear the SH one thousand, which was just loose in the back, just sliding across, and pop 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 as all those little kind of. Um, flip down keys on the bottom of <laughs> oh. 
what a great sensor. I, uh, it's one of the first sense I ever got to know, really, was the SH-1000. I, oh. I think they're lovely. But so if that is the key to the Tony Swain sound, I think that's a interesting thing. I mean, look, that, that's what it uh, that's what it looks like. There's the glide button right there. Um, it's, it's quite a basic synth, isn't it? I mean, it's it's sort of no, looks it's very basic. Yeah, but the sound's got it's got a really nice word. The word formica. Yeah. I think you'll find that's chipboard covered with formica. <laughs> um, yeah, but didn't the guy out of imagination called Lee? Didn't he spell his name Lee? Lee. Lee. That's right. Well, bizarrely, L Triple E wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it's funny. But while I was in Brussels, there was uh, there's a festival on there. I think later on this month, and it was uh, it, it, it's like a kind of I guess it's a, a, an eighties thing or whatever, and it was featuring Lee Johns of Imagination. So he's playing playing there. So uh, I guess he's still doing his thing. I know, Mark. Did you uh, you come across this chat before? I mean, it sort of seems yeah. like yeah. Oh, you have. I have. Ah. Um, so in the early eighties, I was in lots of sort of goth bands but i told everybody that i wasn't a goth and um the, i i my, my introduction to synthesis was via the sh101 and i was obsessed with that baseline actually the imagination music and lights baseline and the slide particularly the slide um and i got very close to it actually with an mc202 or an sh101 and i wrote lots of songs uh, with baselines that were probably real plagiarism of that baseline because i think it's like the coolest baseline it's just that 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 slide up is what makes it completely so um yeah i mean what else can i say about that i think it's one of my favorite baselines ever wow if i've if i've got the right song, song, what's that song called? music and lights music and lights yeah, there we go. All right, well, maybe we could do a doo-wop version. Okay, well, what? Something like that. Actually, I'd be Lee John. I can dance. Yeah, but you'd have to wear a glittery nappy, Dave. I'm not sure. Just say the word. It has to be said. I can take my Marmite crisp bag and turn it inside out. He's a very nice gentleman. Sorry, what was that, Robbie? We've done a few, quite a few gigs over the years that he's been playing. He's a very nice gentleman. Yeah, no, I'm sure he is. Oh, there we go. He's got the... the, the... It was definitely a look of its type. Anyway, um, I'm glad we could, did finally get to talk about that and uh, I very much enjoyed your... Uh, well, uh, enjoyed and also didn't enjoy your um, your anecdote about the uh, um, the SH-1000 sliding across the back of a van. That's a terrible... That's, that's just... Those sort of moments are when you think... <gasps> I remember once... Um, my uh the guy that i used to play bass with in the band he built because he was a bass he built a, a single 18 inch bass cab out of chipboard massive you know 18 inch woof it's like a huge great things i mean you don't find bass cabs with those and it took him ages and ages and ages and we went to a rehearsal uh and all we had was a morris minor to put it in and we managed to get it was like oh I just just managed to get it in the back seat this thing and then um I just remember getting it out and it slipped and the door handle just went straight through the cone of his 18-inch speaker, which is probably oh the single God. most expensive 
element of that. I mean, it sounded terrible because it was just a say an eighteen inch speaker. I didn't have any sort of <laughs> upper upper content whatsoever. But you know, it was. I just remember that moment. He he did rather lose his temper. I not. I, I don't blame him. But but he wasn't the one who was actually lifting it at the time. Which uh, you know, that's just the way things go. So, well, but maybe he should have been. Well, exactly. That that was kind of my argument at the time. But it didn't. It wasn't really the right time to have that sort of discussion. You know? <laughs> I, I, I found a fifteen inch speaker in a fairground when I was 16 and I used to go to rehearsals with it on the back of a pooch maxi moped. I used to put it on the back and I'd sit there with my arm on it and then well, one handed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it was huge and very heavy and it used to make the bike really unstable. Wow. Um, Yeah. I do. And well, I remember um, before, before lifts, uh, when I got my MS-10 and I used to carry it around in a box and I had to walk all the way down a really long, you know, I had to, it was about a mile and a half from my house to where we used to rehearse. And I, so I'd be, I just remember that feeling of holding this box for probably three quarters of an hour like this and just the strain it put on my mind. But I never dropped it and it never went wrong. But I mean, that's funny when you, you, know, you, you see guitarists and they've just got their little soft cases over there and you just think, oh, it's so easy for you just going to rehearsal, assuming you haven't got to take your cab with you and stuff. That's what I really liked about them. Sorry. Mode guys, that's what I really liked about them. They just used to get on the train, didn't they, on the the underground with their synths to go to a gig or go to rehearsals. Dix Clark was quite well known for that. Oh, that's brilliant. I always noticed that whenever I was in bands when I was a teenager, the drummer always had a girlfriend with a car. Did anyone else notice that? Did your girlfriend have a car, Dave? No, I had the car, but my girlfriend was the roadie. (laughs) <laughs> that was the law I couldn't just help me uh, I'll tell you what it was brilliant because when I got the Simmons kit it was like you could see this look of relief on her face oh brilliant it's only this like small electronic and then came the personal PA <laughs> uh, yeah the personal PA and but I also need my real bass drum yeah yeah and my real snare and my cymbals and yeah. my real hi-hat the, that... now I got a great um, SH-1000 it was like the first gig I ever did with a synth but um I was playing this kind of grand piano and then the SH-1000 on top. And in fact, it's funny because the, the guitarist in this band, which was just a kind of complete Santana rip off everything, major, major seventh, minor seventh. Um, he's now gone on to become quite a big smooth jazz um, guitarist. He's quite well known in America, but um, it's kind of high expectations. And I rented this SH-1000 from Anderton's in Guildford, which involved, going to Guildford on the train from Reading and then taking it back on the train and then having it for like a week and then taking it back. Uh, and, you know, it had the screw in the back uh, to tune it. And, of course, I'd been noodling around on this thing. And, like, it's a synthesizer. And, of course, we're expecting it to sound like a Moog modular, but actually it's this sort of relatively thin, weedy thing. And uh, But we put it through PA and we kind of put it through reverb. And, uh, yeah, rehearsals, it sounded great. And I'd mentioned about the whole tuning pain in the arse and this guy who was a well-known local joker uh just before the gig came in with a screwdriver and just turned the tuning thing so when i launched into this synth solo it, it was wrong totally out of tune and then i spent the rest of the night trying oh, to work no. out okay is it in another key because i didn't you know realize that there was this thing around the back and that's what had happened Oh, what a swipe. It was really very entertaining. Of course, people at the end of it were going, 
Man, that synth sounded shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which indeed right, it probably would have done. Can I tell you my bad tuning story? No, go I ahead. Did, I did a festival. I've got one as well. I did a festival, an 80s festival with Hal and loads of other artists about four years ago, and a band who shall remain nameless turned up um, who I don't think do very much gigging. They do occasional gigs. They kind of come out of mothballs and do the occasional gig. Anyway, they brought these they brought these backing tracks, I should say, along. What it turns out they were, were basically their, their record where they'd done this kind of phase thing to try and get rid of the vocal. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, they basically... Okay, that was the first thing. And they had it on a CD. And, of course, the CD was skipping. And, and they wanted the band to play along. This was just a stereo thing. There wasn't even a click track. So it was a stereo wow. file. They expected a band to play along to what they didn't realise was it was at the, it was also at the wrong sample rate and it was playing in between keys. It was like <laughs> a quarter tone. It was about a quarter tone. So anyway, they started up. The, the first track came on, and the band started to try along and play with it. And of course, they were like a sort of a, a third of a tone out of tune with it. Oh, <laughs> and they battled on for four songs with it like this while we oh stood in God. the. Oh, hell, yeah. Oh, didn't we do a didn't we do um a, a piece where there wasn't it like Guns and Roses or something where there was a a sample rate mismatch on the playback and they were there was somebody was just Van singing Halen. Van Halen was it yeah and it was it was just oh it was really uncomfortable that's terrible when that sort of thing happens that technology bites you on the bum so but Mark you had a story as well yeah my story is um John Taylor with a whammy pedal I'm sure he won't mind me telling the story um he he had uh, his his roadie had tuned his bass and handed him the bass. He started this song and he started playing and it was just so wildly out of tune that he stopped the song and gave it back to the roadie who then retuned it and gave it back to him. They started the song, he played it again and then he was standing there winding this bass thing round and round trying to get the damn thing in tune but not realising that he'd got his whammy pedal engaged. Um so then he kind of pretty much threw the bass at the roadie again and they gave him a different bass. And then all these other roadies were saying to us lot who work for Duran, like, don't you guys know what the hell you're doing? It's like, you know, don't you know how to tune a guitar? And we're like really puzzled. And then the kind of the light went on and he realized he'd got the whammy pedal engaged and kind of it all went back to normal. Oh, that's yeah. That's... For about two minutes, I think it was the worst kind of, you know, when when the audience is kind of standing there waiting for something to happen and we're all like flustered and running around trying to like fix this problem but we couldn't that, work that out doesn't exist yeah problem. ouch yeah. and at the, at the end bless him he came up to the roadie and he said look i'm sorry about that i'm probably not grown up enough to have effects pedals yet <laughs> which i thought was a really sweet thing to say because he could have continued to blame everybody for it and but i mean obviously kind of held his hand up and went oh, i'm sorry about that yeah that, so, that's that's a very embarrassing moment isn't it that's not what you really want to have happen at all at any kind of live uh live event yeah that tuning issue i i, I don't play live fortunately very often but when it goes wrong, it's it, it it is incredibly uncomfortable. But that's the sign of true professional, isn't it? Is being able to kind of uh, somehow draw something out yeah, from from the uh, from the ashes of a disaster <laughs> into something that is going to work again. But uh, yeah, yeah. with a synth, it's easy. When in doubt, just put it on sample and hold. Go. That makes Nothing sense. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that could work. That's interesting. Can I just say one more thing before we go? Before you cut it off i was i enjoyed your um 
your kind of presentation of the new up and coming Roland. Ah, yes, I was going to mention the EFX I, one. I, I, I'm, I, after I saw that, I thought, right, I really want to get those. So they, I'm, I'm, are, they are really... That, actually, that reminds me what I was about to say, because the thing about those, they're brilliant, but if you've programmed a load of weird stuff to get like a six sub-modules doing some random stuff behind it, and you don't know that that's what they're doing, then you switch it on and it's like, what the hell's going on here? You have no clue as to what might be going on. And that's the, that is actually the only downside because there's no status to say I'm modified. And that's that's one thing. So um, one thing that Dave, because the, the, there's, there's two ways of modifying the, the stuff. You can either um, plug your phone or your laptop in and it squirts the real-time parameter changes as little audio blips or you send the whole setup in, or you can do it via MIDI over USB, in which case it's all real-time, because otherwise it's like you turn the knob, you let go, and it sends the parameter then. But some real I thought it was really interesting, actually. And I, I, while I was watching, while I was doing it, my mind was just kind of like, wow, this means you can, you could, you could do this, you could do this. And there's all sorts of stuff you could do with it. And I, I'm really quite excited at trying them out. I don't know if you saw that, Dave, but it really made sense of what they're doing and what it's for. I guess the only downside is the power requirements. It's quite a hefty chunk of power it requires for each one 450 milliamps i looked i looked at i looked at most of the kind of 4ms and you know um tip top power supplies and they only they only support like about 1200 milliamps you wouldn't i don't know what you're going to do to power that i mean you they're 450 milliamps each so i think the only way at the moment would be like a, a guitar effects pedal kind of multi-power supply in the back of your rack or or a four-way yeah, and I think that would that would make sense, and it, and that wouldn't be too hard. You just need a little hole to put those in, you know. So it would there are going to be workarounds, and I think Roland also are going to be introducing their own cases, which wow. either. But I mean, and this is one of the problems. This is one of the things that people don't understand. The reason that uh, modular racks are so expensive, it's not the beautiful furniture about it. It's the power supplies because they're open and they're you know. I mean, I haven't got mine to hand because they're basically bespoke power supplies. They all have to be certificated, you know, for the EU, for the US, and for a small manufacturer, oh. creating a high wattage power supply that is certificated is just, it's so expensive that it makes it really difficult, whereas the smaller ones, I guess, must be, you could buy them off the shelf or whatever. So that's one right. of the issues, And that, but that's, a, that's, that's across the board, because when you look at any of the sort of budget um, Eurorack mounting systems, the power supply is always just... But, I mean, though you look at the size of the power supply though that comes with say the you know the the nine volt power supply i mean surely you could build into the bottom of a euro rack just like a four four gang socket and just you know yeah you could do that or like i say you get one of those little blocks so you can run a few guitar yeah, pedals exactly on. you know there's some of those at rate of 500 milliamps an output i mean there's ways so the, of doing it but it's just yeah, not as yeah, elegant volt, as the, yeah. there's a yeah the pedal train volta could might work yeah, yeah, but no, I, I was just—I was just saying. I thought it was really good. It totally opened my eyes to what they could do. So yeah, I think they're going to be great. Those. Yeah, I can't wait to get some, to try one out. Definitely. Okay, well that seems like a good pl- time to stop. And I'm sure our chat room people who are sick of seeing random characters go past. This is what's happening. It's really—if there's anyone out there who knows how to um, configure an IRC server. 
if you wouldn't mind getting in touch, because I'm I, I'm a bit out of my depth when it comes to this kind of stuff, and uh, I, obviously it's spoiling it for, and it's just a kid, you know, because they're putting silly names in there and stuff. So if we can just figure out a way to get rid of them, that would be great. So uh, just get in touch with me, and I you can talk me through it. But uh, thank you ever so much, everybody. It was uh, great. I know it was a bit distracting having all that going past. Uh, before we go, just want to say it again, if you want to enter the competition to win Isotope Ozone Six Point One, you want to tweet the hashtag Mightier Mixes and the hashtag ozone6 to at Sonic State and at isotope inc and you've also got some extra characters in there so uh, perhaps don't put that stuff in the chat room but put something meaningful and uh, witty and uh, i know that uh, isotope do read it and uh, we read it and so you know it's all very much appreciated also want to say um this show is uh, dedicated to my dear friend rachel who sadly uh, passed away last week and uh, we're all going to miss her but um anyway i just wanted to to, to get that out there anyway guys thank you ever so much thank you Robbie for joining us this week it's been a pleasure having you aboard I uh, hope your your build goes okay next week and maybe if I can I'll, I'll come over and see you on Sunday that would be great if I can get over okay and also Gaz Williams too thank you very much uh, for joining us um, and we'll see you very soon I hope maybe yeah, cool. maybe a Studio One 3 uh, overview we're, we're trying to talk him into it yeah, I think we should do that. I yeah. think it's definitely worth a look. Okay, well, great. And also, Dave Spears, g4software.com. Don't forget, go and uh, get your 50% off um, on the sale. What was it? It was on Imposca 2, was it? Imposca 2, yeah. I, I had something else to plug. Uh, oh, I did a video on the cool uh, 800DV. Oh, I, I saw some that. of that stuff. That looks really nice. It's a lovely looking machine, isn't it? It's great sounding. Yeah. Yeah, nice yeah. one. So anyway, yeah, because loads of people have been kind of going, oh, when are you going to do another video for the GeForce YouTube site? Uh, so excellent. You have. Well, there we go. Well, thank you very much, Dave, uh, for joining us. And also, Mr. Mark Tinley, thank you for joining me too. And uh, great. We, your video looks absolutely fantastic today. So whatever you did pre-show, it just nailed it. Which, actually, that's a top tip, isn't it? If you've ever got any problems... And you've got an external audio device and uh, oh. an internal audio device. Make sure the sample rates match because yeah. the system and the external will fight. And unless you've got a lot of computer grunt, it won't. Uh, nothing talking will about win. Things, talking about things fighting, I've got a request. Okay. As you know, I'm in, uh, digitizing lots of VHS video. And I rewound one earlier on. And there was a noise inside the machine like... Chuk, chuk, and I took the tape out, and it and it uh, has come off the end of the spool and eaten itself. So I need to buy a half-inch splicing bollock. And I've contacted HHB and Studio Spares and Can Canford Audio, and nobody seems to sell them anymore. So if anybody's got a second-hand uh, editor or VHS half-inch uh, splicing block for sale please email me ah there we go well there you go okay and that's it for this week thank you very much for joining us uh, once again and that was it sonic talk 405 is now finished